Welcome to Someone to Talk to, a podcast about faith and life with Jason Messman and Josh King. Jason and Josh have been friends for over six years, and for the past several years, they have gotten together almost every other week to discuss life, faith, marriage, church, parenting, etc., over a cup of coffee. During one of these fellowship meetings, Jason suggested recording the conversations and making them available as a podcast, and this podcast is a result of that suggestion. Well, hello there. Good morning. Happy uh, happy recording day. Yeah. I have... I was uh, going to say Tuesday, but it's not Tuesday, but we normally record on Tuesday like a, mornings, yeah. but we're, we're a day late because I needed to sleep. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, yeah. So, I was really hoping, and we'll, I'm totally going to touch on this, and then... I'm going to let it go and then hopefully we'll get to pick it back up yeah. uh, next time we record. But I was really hoping that you had gotten an opportunity to watch the final episode of the Falcon and Winter Soldier because it really plays into our conversation last time about cast. Um, oh, gotcha. Yeah. I kind of have a feeling that's where they're going because the one before where um, they get the shield back and that whole thing. And, you know, he's now training with the shield. Um, You know, Sam's training with the shield. I kind of had a feeling that's where it's going. And then I went back and I don't know why. Like, I just watched all the MCU. I started it this time last year. Right. Started with Iron Man and I watched them in release date order, which is not. So I watched them in the phases, right? So I watched them in release date order. And um, for whatever reason, I wanted to watch Endgame again so i just queued up endgame like last week and i every once in a while what i'll do is i'll be working and i'll get to a place where i'm just doing like busy work like stuff i don't really have to i don't really have it's just it has to get done but i don't have to think that hard about it so i'll put on a movie sit on the couch and i was watching endgame and at the very end when uh captain america steve rogers gives the shield to sam there's a few things that stand out to me about that uh, not the least of which is um, him handing this shield to an, you know, an African-American man. Um, there's a lot of other things in that scene that stand out to me, but that one, and, and then just Sam's reaction to it, uh, it felt like he was just going to be off to the races. And, and then to see that that's not what happened in the show I think is a really smart move by the writers. Yeah, no, um, and I, I totally agree with that. Uh, the way they brought in the other super soldier Isaiah and his like, you know, how he could have had the same legacy as Steve Rogers, but because he's black, you know, he was the experiment, not the right. You know, and and that that echoes so much truth in our country's history, uh, how we've treated you know people and 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 peoples that we thought were lesser there's a line there's a line in episode five um of falcon the winter soldier where bucky says when steve and i discussed this we had no idea what it would mean to hand the shield to a black man Mm -hmm. so he knew Um, ahead of time i you get the feeling that he does like steve he and steve had discussed it which I think makes sense then in Endgame when he's sitting on the park bench, when old Steve is sitting on the park bench. Right. And 
uh, Bucky and Sam kind of look at each other and Bucky nods for Sam to go talk to him first. Right. You kind of get the feeling from that, that like Bucky has a feeling of what's going on. So then that throwback then kind of solidifies that Bucky at least had some insight or prior knowledge into what Steve was planning. Right. Which makes, which makes sense. Um, but there, but that line, when he says that, right, it's like, we had no idea I owe you an apology. Um, we had no idea what it would mean for that. And, and that Bucky felt like he owed him an apology for like mi- completely missing right all of the other things that are involved in that. And then there's that line when Sam takes the shield in the end game and uh, old Steve Rogers says, how does it feel? And Bucky says, it feels like it's like it belongs to someone else. Mm-hmm. And I have to now look at that line and say, how much of that is Bucky or sorry, Sam's trepidation about accepting the shield because he already knows what it means and what it's going to look like for a black man to carry that shield. You know, it's funny because it's almost like Marvel's even reconciling with their own cinematic, very recent, but cinematic past and not so much the comic books, but just understanding that like they, up until black Panther, they had a, they, they were not doing, they were doing a decent job of representation, but I'll tell you, I'm going back and watching movies from, we've been watching some stuff from the eighties and nineties with our kids. And to a certain extent, it was almost like they were dealing with inclusivity better 20, 30 years ago than we're dealing with, or 40 years ago than we are now. Um, that there was better representation. It, it's weird. It's weird how you can see the pendulum swing. Now, don't get me wrong, all the characters in these movies that we're watching, they're all minor supporting role characters, but the diversity in some of these movies is so much different than it is, you know, even now. And, and while Iron Man had Colonel Rhodes, he wasn't a major, you know, he was a supporting character. So it took until Black Panther for them to really have a, a person of color lead a movie in a franchise. And then I don't know if you remember, we, I can't believe this is coming up when we talked about MCU. It was released, that movie Black Panther was released in February. And the first thought everybody had, well, there was two, either one, it must suck. Cause that's when you release sucky movies is January and February. Or if it's not as sucky as other movies, you you release it like late August at the end of the summer movie push. Or they thought there's not like it's either going to suck or we're not going to get an audience or we don't want to put it up against other blockbusters because we don't we just don't think it'll perform as well. Right. Hindsight being 2020, it actually was a brilliant move because I think they knew better than we did how well people were going to respond to it especially underrepresented people in this country that they, they had been waiting and they felt like we can make money in the middle of February. We're Marvel. <laughs> right. Right. And at the time ended up being their largest blockbuster prior to the end game. It's yeah. And then I like, so to that point, you know, about cast and, and how people are dealing with it in the movies. Um, it's, I, I like it when, a, like, this is a massive franchise. It's owned by Disney now. 
This is, you know, they could make another 20 movies if they wanted to easy. There's enough storylines. Um, what was the trailer that was just released? Um, uh, Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi, which I didn't even, like, I had to go Google it because, I mean, it yeah. was kind of a more obscure comic book from, like, the 70s, right? Like, and uh-huh. it didn't last, but um, that's a great, now that one is kind of, like, I feel like that one's cheating because they know China's, like, their second largest market or is the <laughs> largest market, so it's like, we, we better, because I've even heard rumors that they filmed scenes with a Chinese actress in Iron Man 3 that weren't released in the U.S., but that were released specifically. Really? Yeah. Um, my guess is you could probably get that on, you know, DVD, Blu-ray right. extra um, stuff, but you hear about that kind of stuff all the time. So there's a little bit of that pandering, pandering to the market that they sure. Know. But it still means that any Chinese American person is going to see somebody that looks like them in a major tentpole movie, and I think that's great. I don't think, you know, you hinted at this, and this is what I kind of wanted to get into with the Falcon and the Winter Soldier was. They didn't have to. Crystal and I were having this conversation last night and Marvel is so big and so successful. Um, and the, uh, the momentum that they have built is moving. So is moving forward so quickly that mm-hmm. they could have just picked up from where they left off with Steve Rogers, handing Sam the shield and Sam becoming Captain America. And they could have just steamrolled forward with that storyline mm-hmm. and not missed a beat. Right. They still would have made money. People still would have watched it. Um, right. Would underrepresented people have maybe felt like, Hey, they could have done this a little better. Sure. But was it really going to slow down the flow of dollars that are then coming mm-hmm. into the Marvel franchise? I don't think so. I think Marvel took, a little bit of a calculated, although super important risk by doing the Falcon and Winter Soldier the way they did. And if you think about it, right, they took six episodes that are between 45 minutes and an hour long. So you get between four and a half and five hours of character development. That's two full movie movies right. of character development of the transition of Captain America. Well, and so and how much of that is based on the real life ethical racial struggles of how do we represent Sam Wilson as a black man, as Captain America mm-hmm. to the best of our abilities mm-hmm. when they didn't have to do it. Right. They could have just picked up and moved on and kept, t- kept telling Captain America stories and kept on rolling in dough. And it would not have made a significant difference to their bottom line. And, and this is where, okay, so bringing this into a larger conversation, this is where when, I mean, there's always going to be, you know, the loudest 10% on either side of an issue, right? And then most everybody else falls somewhere in the middle. So let's talk about the negative loudest 10%. Oh, they're just, you know, they're just, you know, inclusivity. They're just doing this. Um, because they have to, you know, the, the people who are super cynical, the people who don't think that you need to have representation in movies, the people who think um, that it's, you know, taking away from um, American values. You could even go so far as to say anybody who trends white supremacist, right, really is frustrated by this. Then there's the other 10% that says, you know, this is the, they have to do this, they're not doing enough, they should be doing more. And then everybody else in the middle. And so to everybody else in the middle, I go, we're recognizing that by, 
bringing in representation by talking about tough stories and having conversations that matter within the context of a very entertaining franchise, we're not any worse for wear. In fact, we might be better for it. Like, and I'm not saying, oh, Marvel's made me a better white dude. That's not my point. But my point is, and what you said is they're doing things, they're telling complicated stories they don't necessarily have to tell. And we're all still being entertained while watching these difficult stories. And maybe, just maybe, challenging a worldview that somebody might have in a good way. And I think that's important, right? This is a minor spoiler, so I'm sorry, but there's a um, there's a part in episode six where uh, Sam is kind of monologuing, and he says um, he's talking about the implications of being Black Captain America, right? And he says every time I pick up the shield, I know there are millions of people that are going to hate me for it, mm-hmm. and he's like, and I can feel it. It's like right here, right now, I can feel the stares and the judgment. And the truth of the matter is, while that's true within the Marvel universe, it's also true of us that are watching the Marvel universe, right? That becomes one of those statements that's incredibly true, both on the screen and off the screen. When they did the whole thing, when when Steve Rogers gave him the shield in the first place, how many people were like, well, you should have just given it to Bucky? Like right. he should have got the shield. He's next in line. He's the best friend. He's known him longer. He's none and none and none and none and none. Whatever. Um, right. So even then, there's this automatic, right, tension between who should have and who shouldn't have gotten the shield. And while I'm not trying to like outright call anybody overtly racist, but if you are one of those people that said Sam should have got the shield. I really think, or not Sam, but Bucky should have gotten the shield. Then I think you really got to look in the mirror and and think to yourself, why? Well, it's like, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like, did you see the all-female Ghostbusters? Did you watch that? I did not watch that. Dude, it it got, so it gets, it's certified fresh and Rotten Tomatoes. Critics loved it. But it got this huge audience backlash, right? Like, every dude living in his mom's basement railed against this movie like trolled it hard in fact it was trolled so hard they did research and i'm pretty i'm pretty sure this is true so i'm gonna say this with like 60 percent certainty that they found it was also the victim of a russian you know uh anti whatever campaign right where they created troll accounts and they did this with star wars too because russia just goes anything they can do to create fighting havoc yeah so go after one of our beloved institutions from cinema and, you know, oh my gosh, an all-female cast. And they thought that was Ghostbusters? Right. So yeah, they, they thought Ghostbusters <laughs> might be it. Obviously, Star Wars is an easy one, but like yes. Ghostbusters. So I, it was funny. I don't know what I bought or what I did, but I ended up with a free digital copy of it in one of my, in Voodoo, in my Voodoo account. And I had never watched it. And so I finally, I sit down, I think it was during, you know, the pandemic. I sat down and watched it. It's funny. It's good. It's a great, unique storyline. It's not terrible, but most people haven't seen it because it got trolled on so hard because it was all women. And there, it was that anti me too movement backlash against it. And I, and I, and it, and it's the same thing you're talking about. Like if you can't get your head around a black captain America, these movies probably aren't for you anyway. (laughs) Right. 
you know right. and also like dude seriously and that's what i'm saying i think it's like this 10 percent on one side 10 percent on the other that are radicalized and extreme um and i'm not saying you know if you're if you're pushing for marvel to do more that makes you bad i don't think it makes you bad at all but i am saying if you if you are pushing for marvel to do less less inclusion i think that is a bad thing um yeah i so okay so now you've i don't spoil anymore but like so we're only getting six episodes that bums me out well there are six episodes um now there's been uh lots of talk about whether or not there would be a season two and they left lots of things wide open um so it's entirely possible that they do a season two um they're not going to be a season two wandavision was super well i'll tell you in a second wandavision was super popular but i believe that falcon and winter soldiers viewership like doubled that of wandavision like it was pretty significantly huge um so apparently now they're talking captain america 4 movie feature film. Uh, well why not yeah roll it into a movie not yeah a show. yeah and apparently i was just reading this yesterday that uh sam wilson's character anthony mack's character anthony mack sam wilson <laughs> who was the character yeah anthony mackie who was the actor um found out about the movie at the grocery store <laughs> from a as fan he, as he yeah as he was checking <laughs> out the checker like the guy pulls up his phone and like shows him a screenshot of like marvel's now working on captain america 4 and he's like dude is this true and mackie was like i have no idea i haven't heard so like I kind of get where Chris Evans is coming from. He'd been playing that character for a decade. It's he has to stay so physically and I mean not just like in shape. Like like we're not just talking like I go for a walk every day. Like he right. has Rid to stay ridiculously in shape. Whereas Hemsworth has built a brand around that. Like I'm jacked and buy my stuff, right? You can get jacked too. But like Chris Evans is like I'm jacked probably because I have to be and would be okay not being jacked for a minute. And obviously they've left that storyline open where he could do a movie from the 60s or the 70s and be covert Captain America. Right. And go on a great, you know, they, and so they've left that door open. So if he's like 50 and decides he wants to do old Captain America, there's, that's great. That's awesome. We could tell that story. He's um, totally sworn he's not coming back. Yeah. I, I'm sure Bruce Willis said that. And then they're like, hey, so you in for another Die Hard? And he's like, ah, whatever. All my movies are going straight to DVD. Honey <laughs> Mel, I'm in. <laughs> it's really hard to say no to that speaking yeah. of which bruce willis did die hard of a vengeance at the same age i am now and i'm i swear he looks 10 years older than i do uh he is 10 years older but i mean at that time uh based on what i know about bruce he lived a relatively uh wild life oh I'm so sure. i mean he was yeah he, he was coming up in the 80s i'm sure he did it mounds of does life. not does not surprise me that he looks prematurely aged oh my gosh he looked like it's I, and i do that now it's like as i get older and all these people that i idolized as a kid watching these movies and and then now as i age myself to when i you know was a fan of their movies i go or how old they were in those movies i'm just like do i look that old do i look that young like i yeah so this that go, go ahead, ahead. I was just going to say back to what you were saying about an all female Ghostbusters. Yeah. Um, and I haven't seen it, but the Oscars were this weekend. Yeah. 
and a woman won Best Director at won the Oscar this weekend for Best Director for the second time in the 93-year history of the Academy Awards. I know, that's just... The second time. And the seventh nomination, the seventh time a woman was nominated in 93 years. And granted, um, right, there are less women that direct films than men direct films, which but you got ask your, yeah. you gotta ask yourself why that is That's too. a systematic issue. Right, but just given the figures alone, Okay, so if there is a lesser percentage of women that do direct, there should be a lesser percentage of women that win. Totally, you can make that argument. But two? Yeah. Two. In 93 years, two. Well, it's like when Halle Berry won the Academy Award, it was, she was like the second or the first, you know, woman of color to win Best Actress or something. Um. And I remember there was that whole thing, like, how is this, you know, they had, you know, I think women of color had won supporting, you know, the, um, right. at, you know, the supporting, supporting, but I mean, you know, it's, this is what the book cast is all about. It's talking about, like, you tell me systematic racism or systematic sexism doesn't exist. And then you can, you can just start talking about this kind of stuff. You know, it's not, it's not difficult to, to go back and start looking at, oh, well, why were there so few women directors, you know, nominated? Well, because there were just so few women directors in general. Why were there so few, is it women just don't want to make movies? No, I mean, right. you look at, I, I feel like, so I loved um, The Mandalorian season one and season two. And so I'm always really paying attention to who gets to direct an episode. And Bryce Dallas Howard got to direct at least one. Um, she did a couple. And I think she did a phenomenal job. Um, does she get that if she's not Ron Howard's kid? You know what I mean? And I'm not, I'm not saying she didn't deserve it. What I'm saying is as a woman in that franchise, you know, who else does that go to? Who else gets a shot? Um, and I, and it's, and some of my favorite action movies growing up, two of them were, well, one of them for sure directed, um, you know, uh, the original, the original point break, Catherine Bigelow. Like, how was she not making every major action movie blockbuster after that? She was directing like one movie every five years. Maybe that's a personal choice. I don't know. Right. And I think that's the biggest part of this conversation that we've been having for the last couple of weeks is like, and I think this is for the 80% in the middle. You really got to ask yourself why. Yeah. I think the 80% of us that are in the middle sometimes um get stuck are in the middle because sometimes we get stuck just being satisfied with the way things are and that's cool right whatever's happening that's cool whatever's going on over here that's cool i'm going to stay comfortable and cozy right here in the center um but you really got to look at these things and ask yourselves why right i had no idea that i was so um Like the last couple of conversations that you and I have had, and I think this is probably going on third where we've really touched on right racism and sexism mm -hmm. and those issues. Um, I, for a lot of you, for the overwhelming majority of my life was most comfortable just being in the middle and not taking a side. Mm -hmm. um, and that based on 
right? Just some of the learning that I've been doing and the conversations that we've been having over the last couple of few weeks, I really am starting to feel like I'm being um, wantingly pushed more towards, right? Taking notice, having an opinion, um, really being aware of what's going on and why it's going on. Um, but the biggest part of that for me is I have to look at myself, mm-hmm. right? And say why there, right? It's not enough in this day and age. And I'm stealing this line and I don't know where I'm stealing it from. I'm stealing it from the end of cast, from the, the closing lines of cast. It is not enough in this day and age for us to just be non racist or non sexist. Mm-hmm. It's not enough, right? We really need to be pro anti racism and pro anti sexism. Yeah. Right. It's not enough for us to just sit on the fence anymore and let these things go by because that's what got us here in the first place. Right. Well, and it's like, oh, so you and I, I think we both were traveling this last weekend, which was kind of funny. Um, so my daughter had a gymnastics competition. She qualified. So gymnastics has slowly been opening back up. She went to a few meets, um, most of them pretty well, like following guidelines, right? Which is good because I feel comfortable when people are wearing masks and all that stuff. And so the, she qualified for state. State was over in Tacoma at their convention center and uh, we got a hotel room right next door. So we you know, stayed right there. Uh, and so we get up the morning of our competition on Saturday and my, uh, my wife, Natalie, she got this time. There's this time. It's like, you know, you're in the middle of a pandemic. We're wearing masks, washing hands and all this. And then like this tummy bug starts making its way around our family. It was just awful. Um, and we think we got, I think, we, you know, like they tell you COVID doesn't do well on surfaces. They're finding now, right? So you don't have to <laughs> be as concerned about surfaces. Well, that doesn't mean that other stuff doesn't do well right. on surfaces. And I'm pretty sure... The toddler started with it. He got the tummy bug and was thrown up last week. And I think he probably got, cause he doesn't go anywhere. He's not in preschool or anything. So, and my kids aren't in, you know, traditional school. So I think he probably picked it up from playground equipment is like my best guess. You know, he's, he's touching playground equipment, touches his eyes, whatever. Anyway. So Natalie's sick. Madison and I get up in the morning and we go down to get uh, food. They weren't doing a continental breakfast. You had to either order it the night before, which we didn't realize or you can go down and just sit in the restaurant and you could tell this is the busiest this hotel's been probably in a year and, and, you know, not good systems. Like they were not, they weren't ready for this and you could, they'd called in help. There was people who were in their normal work attire who were helping fold napkins and all this stuff. And it wasn't that busy. I mean, if you looked around, you're like, okay, it's not that, but it was busier than they've probably been. So we're sitting there and I'm just like, it's so funny because I'm just not around people a lot in this way, like outside of the grocery store, I'm just not in that observation, you know, setting where you can just observe people. So we're mm-hmm. sitting and, you know, you're watching people and they're all gymnastics parents for the most part, handful of people traveling. And they don't, it's not very clearly marked what you're supposed to like, other than there's a sign that says, please wait to be seated. There's no other sign for like, if you want to order, there's a little Starbucks counter. It's not really clear where to go for all that. So I can understand that there's a, a mild amount of confusion, confusion, plus the staff, like I said, they're not they they weren't ready for this and i don't blame that on the staff that's the management right like the management should have had him prepped no apparently that's a phenomenon that's happening right now really yeah um like so we're, just, we're not ready with the, with things reopening restaurants and things in particular that are reopening um a lot of the employees that lost those jobs while the pandemic was in full swing yeah 
are now making more money sitting at home collecting unemployment than they can if they were going back to work. Yeah. So in a lot of cases, they have decided not to go back to work. So now restaurants are reopening with um, limited staff, limited uh. amounts of people, limited trained people that have been there. Um, so there's really this uh, kind of restaurant service industry shakiness because they just don't have the people right. that they had prior to the pandemic um, and then are having to hire new people, train new people, get new people in, or just don't have them available at all. So if you, I'll just say so this now. So even if they were ready, they yeah. may not have been ready. No, I'll, I'll say this now. And and you, we, we might lose three of our four listeners for this statement, but if you have staff that isn't coming back to work because they're making more on unemployment than they do for you, you are a terrible boss. And I'll just put that out there. You are a terrible boss. You are running a bad business. If your employees don't want to come back to work for you because they make more unemployment, that's either because you're not paying them enough or you're a butthole. Like I just, you, you can, and you can say whatever you want, but if you're a business that has moved to a state that has a, a lower minimum wage, you're a butthole. Like, I don't, I don't care what anybody says. All right. So, so back to the story. So as we're, as we're waiting for food and I'm watching the wait staff, by the way, the wait staff are all, I don't remember the acronym. It's B I P O C. They're all persons of color, right? From they're running the, the it's the spectrum, right? You're seeing, all different kinds of people, which I think is great. Um, and they're, they're working their best. Obviously they're either, you know, the situation that you described where they're new to the industry or they're just, it's, it's been a while since it's been right. busy. So I'm watching this and, and, you know, I'm texting now I'm going, boy, they're not, they, they weren't, I bet this is the busiest they've been. They weren't ready for this. This, this dude comes down. So what was going on is if you ordered food to your room, the, the food wasn't being delivered. You had to come down and get it, but it gotcha. was going to be made at whatever time you specified. So this guy comes down and he's, you know, I would say mid to late fifties. So a little older and he can't, first you can tell he doesn't know where to go. And that frustrates him right off the bat. He doesn't know where to go which I feel that that's fine. There's signage if you want to sit, but there's no signage if you want to pick up your food. That's a management issue. That's not the staff's issue. So he's so frustrated. You can visibly see it on him. And he grabs the first person that walks by who happens to be a woman of color. And he says very like rudely and frustratedly, fr frustratedly. Anyway, he says he's very rude. And he says, where do I go to pick up my food? And she stops, she's in the middle of something and she stops and she, you know, has to have him repeat it because she's not ready for the question. And he says, I order food in my room. Where do I go to get it? And she goes, oh, you'll have to get in line. And he literally throws his hands up, throws his hands. Up. Then he goes and he gets in line. There's like one person in front of him, but the guy that it, the line is in is also the bartender slash Starbucks guy. So he's making drinks for the people who are sitting and there's people ordering booze. It was like 8.30 and I'm just, okay. <laughs> throw down gymnastics dad uh so he he gets in this line and you he's just he's huffing and he's doing it so much my nine or 11 year old daughter sorry my 11 year old daughter notices and she looks at me 
And I kid you not, she goes, boy, he's frustrated. And I said, yeah. And he goes, she says, it's because he's white, huh? <laughs> and I died. And then he goes, then he gets to the front of the line and he asks the guy, order food, where's my food? And then it's not there yet. And he's now he's just frustrated as I'll get out. Right. Finally, it comes and he just huffs and And if, as we're talking about it, one of the things that stands out to me, other than the systematic racism, this, 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 you know, whatever goes into that, I'm better than these people. I, it's obscene entitlement, right? It's why would I have to wait in a line for food that I ordered? I'm sure he was just pissed he had to order the food in the first place, right? Like I have to order this. I can't just call in the morning. They can't just bring it to me. It can't just be ready. You know, I'm sure he, it, he was having a bad white dude day from the moment he checked into that hotel. And he just might not be a very happy person in general. But if you're acting so obnoxiously as a middle to late aged white dude that my 11 year old daughter notices, you know, you're in that butthole camp. Like you right. are, it's just, and would I have been as hyper aware of it, you know, if I hadn't read cast and hadn't taken this anti-racism, like, what am I going to do? I'm not going to jump in and go, Hey, you need to go apologize to that woman. But I'll tell you what, my antenna's up. And if he starts getting obnoxious, somebody's going to have to step in and help this staff out. Like, and, and maybe provide a barrier and just go, hey, man, you got your food right. or whatever. Like, but, and I'm not saying I even have the guts or the courage to do that. I would like to think through the Holy Spirit, I might be able to at least, you know, let the person know that being confronted that they're not alone, you know, like whatever, if however the situation may have turned sideways. But this book cast and just the larger conversations that are happening in this country, Black Lives Matter. And, you know, you can say whatever you want about that. It's a movement. You can say it's, I'm not talking about the organization. I'm talking about the movement uh, from the Me Too movement, Black Lives Matter, all of these things. All we're talking about at the end of the day, you and I as Christ followers is loving people the way Jesus did. Jesus sat at the last supper and he washed the feet of two of the people, at least, that he knew were going to betray him. One's going to deny him and one has already sold him out. And he sits there and he washes their feet anyway. And if you're telling me that you can't love people because of the color of the skin or who they choose to love, or if they decide that the gender that they were born with doesn't match how they feel, you're telling me you can't love that, that person, then you clearly don't understand how Jesus loved other people. You just don't. And I think as you and I talk about caste, that's the bigger conversation. We're not just talking about how systematic racism and systematic sexism, you and I are talking about how do we love people in a way that Jesus did that is anti-racism and anti-sexism, right? And I think you totally nailed the, the bottom line on that is we just don't understand the way that Jesus loves people because, and you have to totally take that into account. If you were sitting at the table with, <clears throat> if you were sitting at the table with 12 people and you knew, you knew one of them had already collected their money and was just waiting to turn you over to the authorities, would you serve them? Oh, would you not just would you not just call them out and kick them the hell out of the room? Yeah. You know, kick rocks, buddy. I know who's I know whose side you're on. Yeah. And it's not this one. And he knew right? going into it. I mean, he and knew we, when he he knew when he pulled him into his group. We yeah. And we don't we 
the fact of the matter is we don't do that. I can't, I can't name, and I'm guilty as sin of this myself, as if I knew, if I had pre-knowledge of that happening, I can't say that I would be as opening, as open and welcome and loving and serving as Jesus chose to be anyway. Yeah. I don't think I could do it. It's, and and I, yeah. I would like to say, yes, I'm, my heart is that big and I am that wonderful and i am that loving and i am that serving that i would go ahead and i would take care of that person regardless of the fact that i knew they had stabbed me in the back i can't say that we have no idea the capacity right of what that looks like to love the way that jesus did and i think that's a unfortunate detriment to us as a as a society as a race Right. I don't think we want to understand. I don't mm-hmm. think we, I think we're really comfortable just going, you know what? I don't get it. I couldn't do that. Instead of going, you know what? I don't understand that. I don't get it. I don't know how Jesus did it, but I'm going to try and do it anyway. Well, it's uncomfortable to love like that. You know, it's like, and then you forget, okay, so he washes their feet. Then he goes to the garden of the place I can't say out loud. Because it's not the place that shall not be spoken. I just don't know how to pronounce it. Gethsemane? Gethsemane, yeah. Jeez, God, could we shorten these up? The Garden of Bob? Could we we not use Hebrew words for places in the Bible? He's in the garden. He's praying. He knows what's going to happen. And his, his humanness, you know, shows up and he asks God not to forsake me. Now, I don't understand enough about scripture and Hebrew and all of it to really understand what being asked there, but I know he's praying and you, he's praying because he knows what's about to happen. Then, you know, then he's beaten and tortured and that whole thing. And then he, he gets up on the cross or they put him up on the cross. And then he's there with the two criminals. And the guy says, the guy acknowledges who Jesus is. And he says, I say to you, you will be in the kingdom of heaven with me. So now he's saying this guy was so evil in his life that he ended up here. Jesus didn't end up there because he was evil. He ended up there because people are evil. But this guy, for all we know, ended up there because he deserved to be there, right? This is the love the sinner, hate the sin. He's there because he deserved to be. He could have been, he could have been a murderer, a rapist. He could have been the worst of the worst. You know what he could have been? Hmm. He could have been a white and or blue collar middle class American. Yeah, exactly. That had never really done anything wrong of any significance in his whole entire life other than be separated from God. The thief on the cross represents you and I, right? Mm -hmm. He represents, yes, he was on the cross because in real life he was a thief or a murderer. They call him a thief, but that word is can be oh i'm sure exegized in a bazillion ways (laughs) um but the fact of the matter is that the thief on the cross represents you and i right it doesn't matter why he was up there as much as it matters that he was up there and the fact of the matter is he was up there because he lived a life separated from jesus right and and to to the point i'm trying to make we don't know you there's a few words that are used to describe him but very few we don't know who he choose to love or be around or how he choose to behave or any of it. We just know that at the end, he recognized who Jesus was 
And Jesus forgave him for everything that had happened, loved him regardless, and said, you will be in the kingdom with me today, right? Or later or whatever he said. All right, so just hang in there with me for a minute. So anybody who gets bent over backwards about like, okay, well, I understand your argument about loving people of color. Okay, okay, I probably need to do a better job of that. All right, you have fair point, fair point, right? But I draw the line, I draw the line at LGBTQ. I draw the line at trans. I draw the line at homosexuality. You clearly still don't understand how Jesus loved people because Jesus took into account everything the thief had done and still forgave him and allowed him in. And only Jesus gets to do that. We don't get to do that. We don't get to forgive sin. We are not called to judge in that way. Now, other Christ followers, that's different. And that's where, you know, scripture starts getting perverted. Well, you know, we're supposed to call people out. Well, not non-Christians, right? That's Jason. Jason, why are you doing, why are you being so mean to people of color? You got to knock it off. Like, that's me calling out. That's me obeying that scripture, right? It is not me on the corner with a megaphone yelling at gay people. (laughs) It's not that. And I, and, and, and so one, I, I, I gotta, this is where I have to like, you know, take a step back and, and, and anyone listening just go, look, I'm not getting this right. hundred percent of the time. I'm not even getting it right. 25% of the time I have been confronted in the last two weeks with a bunch of my own behavior, things that I need to do to get better, ultimately to get closer to God and to follow Jesus in a better way. What I am saying is in the course of, you know, since the pandemic started, my eyes have been opened to how I've been treating people, to how the church has been treating people, and to just how in general, as Americans, we treat each other. And it's, it breaks my heart, but it leaves me cynical at the same time. And I don't know, it's like, I'm struggling what the next step is, you know? know, It's it's funny you mentioned in your story about um, gymnastics, dad. (laughs) um well it's funny that you threw out the word entitled um because i honestly think that's the biggest problem facing america is entitlement and we can talk all day about um current events and millennials and the level of entitlement that is often associated with the millennial generation but where do you think they got that from and where do you think that we got that from and where do you think that the people that we got that from got that from and if you boil that if you trace it all the way back if you get into the book cast and you start to trace back the lineage of white people Mm -hmm. and i'm not specifically saying white people but i am Mm -hmm. but people in general if you trace that lineage all the way back the foundations of racism and slavery and brutality and torture and trace it all the way. If you, if you are so inclined and you want to trace it all the way back to um, the story of Cain and Abel that comes in the Bible just after the story of Adam and Eve. So we're talking about from the beginning, Mm -hmm. right? Every wrong that has ever been done on the face of the planet was done in the name of entitlement. Mm-hmm. Cain killed his brother Abel because he was it felt like he was entitled to something that he did not get. So mm-hmm. he took it in his hands for itself. I don't know where it is or when it is or how it is that as a human race, 
we ever decided that we were entitled to anything. Do you, do you know what we do? You know what we deserve? Not nothing. Death. It makes you wonder if like hunter gatherers that like didn't know Jesus, right? Like these separate tri like that you know as people spread. If you if yes. you if you if you take the Bible literal or you know even you know figuratively, if if Adam and Eve were the start of humanity, obviously they spread, right? I mean, obviously that that's science, right? You have people all over this planet except for like Antarctica. Well, so we know there were hunter gatherers and and things like that that didn't know Jesus. Do you think they're sitting around like one hunter gatherers like, oh, he got a buffalo today. I'm I'm gonna go kill him for that. Like, do you think they were as entitled as you know, like, or was survival like goal A? I think history has taught us on a right in those circumstances. I think we know enough about hunter gatherer tribes to say for the most part, no. <laughs> but you know, there was some a-hole that was that was there was somebody that was that way well look at like Viking there was cult. somebody oh. or some cult some group or some handful of people that were entitled that were like that guy got a buffalo and i'm gonna go kill him and take his buffalo you know those stories exist oh yeah you know that level of entitlement exists and the problem with things like entitlement is it's so incredibly pervasive mm-hmm. and it's right because you can sit it you can sit at a table full of dudes and be like and talk about you can sit at a table full of dudes and talk about love and how we should serve people better and one or two of them is going to go hmm you might be on to something but if you sit at a table full of dudes and you talk about how you're entitled to something or deserve something that you didn't get eight out of ten of them are going to be like yeah you totally should have done that you should just take it you should just get your thing i can't believe you got overlooked the fact of the matter is that sin is so much more pervasive than good. It's gross. But oh. that's the, the that's right. That's our human. That's that's our curse. That's the human. Yes. The brokenness of the human spirit. And I and I make this point all the time and I'll make it till uh, probably hopefully on my deathbed. Hopefully I don't become that guy who like, I don't know where my food is. Um, if 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 I get to heaven and the worst thing I did was love people that don't match my my background or my definition you know or you know or, or love people who are sinners whether it's members of you know people who 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 are horrible you know horrible people who do horrible things you know if 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 loving those like bob goff did how he loves the 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 witch or the what it was the 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 uh, the, the witch doctor witch doctor my brain went to say that, and then I was like, "That doesn't sound yeah, right." It's just not a, it's not a phrase that you like. Witch doctor. How often do you say right. that? And every, right. you know, whether it's I love somebody like that, or whether it's I love somebody who's a, a member of the LGBTQ community, or I love somebody with a different skin color. If those are the worst things I do, I, I struggle to think Jesus is going to pull me aside when I get there and go, "Okay, we have to talk about how you loved that trans person." Right. Like I just, I just don't see it. And, and maybe it's because I don't know enough about the Bible and that's a hundred percent true, but I just don't think that Jesus is going to condemn us for loving people. Right. That's that was one, what we were told to do. That's the one thing he told us to do. And it's not conditional. Oh, except for somebody who had an abortion. <laughs> you can't love them. You know, he, he like, he says, I want you to love, go out and love as I have loved you. And then he comes back five minutes. Wait a minute. Sorry. I forgot to give, there's like a list of people that you're not supposed to love. I forgot to give you this. I can't go before I give you this. 
right? It's crazy how many, it's crazy as people, how many lines we want to draw. Yeah, I'll love everybody, but you know, I love the guy that cut up. me off in traffic. Right. I love everybody up till here, but not that guy or not that guy or not that person. Ugh. And I get that. I get that that's based on our own comforts and our own <clears throat> levels of discomfort. And right, even I'll even go so far as to say, right, childhood upbringings and um, attitudes and things that we were instilled with by our parents as children. Mm. Um, I'll give you that. But and I like, I, I admittedly like to be comfortable, but nothing grows where it's comfortable. Right. Right. If you're, if you're in this place where you want to grow and you want to develop and you want to be a better person, you got to get uncomfortable. Because mm -hmm. if you're sitting in your happy little place, loving the people that you want to love and staying in your little box of lines that you drew in the sand. I mean, have fun, but there's no growth there. No, there's no, there's no life there. Well, and, and if you're worried about, so I, I had lunch with a friend of mine, Rob Rowley, you know, Rob and, and, and Rob's probably a listener. So there's your, Rob's, there's, your there's your shout out, Rob. Rob's one of our four listeners. Yeah. Uh, He's probably the one that we won't lose after your previous comment. <laughs> right. So Rob, <clears throat> Rob and I are, we had lunch. We hadn't, we haven't seen each other in, you know, year plus. So uh, finally get to where I feel comfortable doing that. And we had, you know, outside patio, that whole thing, weather's nice around here. And in the course of just an hour, maybe hour, 15, hour and a half conversation, he pushed on me so hard as a Christ follower. And he, he's so like, Rob, he just, he knows how to wind you up. He knows what button to push to get you going. Cause what he, all he wants to do at the end of the day is he wants to see where you're at in your walk. Right. So he believes he is my mentor. And I believe that that's true. He is my mentor. He's one of my mentors. He's somebody that I look up to and I look to when I'm challenged, right? As, as much as I do you or anyone else that I would put in that position. And I w walked in there with, with some of my newly formed belief structures around scripture and what I know to be true or what I think to be true. And he challenged me and he, first he wound me up and then he challenged me and I walked away so, so frustrated. And, and I feel like I'm a pretty good, pretty good in a, in a debate. I feel like I can hold my own in a debate, but like live with Rob, he's so well-versed and so well-read on the Bible. After walking away, I came up with all my arguments and then, and then to make things worse, he starts texting me like almost immediately like articles and stuff and i finally i text him and i said first i want to say i'm reading it directly first i want to say that our talks always leave a lasting imprint on me i mean more than just spending time with you as a friend since we chatted yesterday and since you texted me i've been going over and over how i'd respond to you i've thought about how i debate the points made in the article you sent and how i'd further my position on several topics from our conversation but as i've spent time in prayer this morning and really listened to the holy spirit i was brought to the realization that what I was really dealing with was pride and ignorance. I'm still very much prideful and that I want to be right more than I want to be wrong. I've also realized how much more I have to learn about Jesus in scripture. I appreciate you for challenging me and opening my eyes to the growth I still so very much need to do. So I realized Rob might actually have been wrong about some of this stuff. And I know I certainly was wrong about some stuff. That's not the point. The point was I was prideful. I left there prideful 
my ego was hurt, my pride was hurt, and I was determined to repair that. I was uncomfortable. I was put in a position I hadn't been put in a lot lately, right? And because, you know, with the pandemic, we're just not around people the way we are being challenged and, and being exposed to ideas. And, and right, I, but notice that your immediate inclination wasn't to grow, it was to get back right. to being comfortable. Totally. It's like, I'm uncomfortable, I'm outside my comfort zone. How do I get back in my comfort zone? Well, and that was the, it's the guy going to pick up his food, picking up his food, put him in an uncomfortable position. And all he wanted to do was get back to where he was comfortable, which was in his room, eating his food. And he was a jerk about it. And I, while I may not have been a jerk to Rob, I, my first thought was, I cannot wait to get back in front of him so I can debate everything that we brought up and win. And that's how I treat my marriage half the time. Like, you know, my Natalie comes to me with something that's bugging her that I'm doing and it's legit. She has a legit, but instead of doing that, I want to gaslight her and tell her why she's wrong. I'm not doing that. And oh, by the way, what you do is 10 times worse. You're a butthole, not me. Right. Cause it, and, and that, that is the, like, you just, you, if you, if you're, if you struggle with this, if you're struggling with this conversation and you're listening, you're one of the people listening, or if you, in your own life, you're so, you need to get around people like Jason or Rob or your, or, or Natalie that push you and grow you and stretch you. And those are, those are my, 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 those are the people I have fellowship, the people who do get to hold me accountable based on scripture, who do get to say, you know, Hey, here's where you're missing the mark. They're loving me that way, but they're not loving randos that way. They're not going, like I said, they're not on the, the, the street corner with a megaphone yelling at gay people. What they're doing is they're loving those around them. And then when it comes to followers in Christ, they are holding those accountable. And I think Rob, I, he, I showed up and he could just smell the pride all over me. I was wearing it like a coat. And so he wound me up and turned me loose, you know, for better or worse to see what happened. I have a pride coat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's spent a lot more time lately in the closet. However, I do have a pride coat. Well, you because what, when are you going to put it on? Who are we around right now? A whole lot. You're working from home. I'm, I'm working from home. Yeah, I'm around a lot more people than you are, but that's a whole different conversation. Different I different. think we should go ahead and uh, call it a day. But I want to use one of your last statements as a transition into next time. Okay. Um, my wife and I just celebrated our seventh anniversary yesterday. Congrats. Uh, we were out of town this weekend celebrating. Um, we went and spent a couple of few days over on the coast. It was fabulous. Um, but I would like to, to spend the next time that we get together talking about marriage mm -hmm. and what we've learned, how we've grown. Not a lot. <laughs> hey, well, it'll be a short conversation then. Um, Oddly enough, it was actually my uh, my target conversation for today, but I also came into this knowing how this works with you and I, so I didn't know necessarily which direction we were going in, but I had that for a backup. Okay. I'd like to go ahead and put it on the agenda for our next meeting. Okay. I'll try to remember that. So when we get there, I'll try to remember that. Uh, right. I will I'll text you throughout the week to remind you. Okay. And then I think uh, you've prayed us out the last few times, so I don't mind doing it this time. If okay. That's cool with you shoot 
So Father, we, we come to you just acknowledging how great you are and, and, and just how, how big you are and compassionate and loving and full of grace. And, and I know that there, there are several places in scripture where we could look to prove that you might be the opposite. And, and, I, and I just want, I just, I, I just pray that people out there who are learning about you and learning about Jesus and are, are learning about your story, realize that those stories just don't paint the picture of how loving and compassionate and, and, and really how, how much you're rooting for us. And we just stand here acknowledging that. And, and, and I want to take a moment to just reflect on how, how really great you are and the growth that you've, you've caused in me and, and in Jason and, and my friend Rob and just the people around me. And and so, Lord, I also, I lift up the people that are listening to you, that they are listening to us, that they hear these conversations and they, they're, they're drawn to you, that our conversations point them to you and that they become curious to, to know you. And that more importantly, that they, they learn to follow your son's example, that they learn to follow Jesus's example. I pray that Jason and I will continue to follow the example Jesus set and to dig into his teachings and to dig into scripture more, to become more well-rounded, to become better servants and to be better at loving those around us as just a means of pointing them to you. And I thank you for the relationships in my life that caused me to grow. I thank you for the relationships in Jason's life that force him and cause him to grow. And I just pray that this next week will be full of growth and opportunity and the, um, the chance to share with others who you are father in jesus's name we pray amen amen until next time